today I'm excited to welcome Mark Inkrot to Armed and Generous. Mark is a former NFL player, and as they say, NFL stands for not for long. So once that ended, he moved into the food and cooler world, because that's pretty common, right? Just kidding, that's super unique. Uh, But he put his weight behind the dairy industry at first, and then later he launched the Upfield Group and Cooler Management, along with the nonprofit campaign, Fresh Has No Boundaries. Mark's able to combine all these efforts, along with his passion for helping others, with a new innovation that delivers fresh, healthy food to families in need. More on that later. Mark's always looking for ways to give back, whether it's to his community or around the country where mobile food deserts or disaster areas exist. Let's get into it. Mark, I'm always curious about the origin story of people. It's always fun to watch the first superhero movie and see where people get their powers. And I want to hear about your generosity, where it stems from. So let's go back in a time machine to your formative years. Can you tell me and tell the audience about some of the mentors and heroes who shaped the man you are today? Both of my grandfathers were, were much like heroes to me. There's certainly people that I looked up to. Um, you know, the hard work of starting a business as an entrepreneur, I certainly relate with today, like my grandfather, Inkrat, and my grandpa Huffman was a farmer. And I certainly respect that and have worked for farmers most of my career and still do work with farmers. And so ag and food has been in my blood, you know, from the beginning. And, you know, certainly both of, both of those men were faithful men, um, led by example, worked hard. And so it's something that I tried to emulate and, and I, and I saw in, in my parents as well. Um, and I had a coach as well, Coach Strom at the University of Finley, who I played football for, was just an incredible man. Um, you know, one of the toughest people I think I've ever met. Mm. He had a heart attack. He had multiple heart attacks and multiple strokes. He's a cancer survivor. Wow. And, you know, he was out there coaching us through all of that. Uh, four-time national champion um, in, in the college football Hall of Fame. Mm and still knew all of his players by name and their background and their family and always asked how things were going at home. And so, you know, he's been, and not just to myself, I think anyone who played for Coach Strom has that mutual respect, as do I, Um, but he just did it the right way, you know? And I think that's something, I saw him last summer and he was at a football game, at a Finley game, and uh, he said he'd see us again next year. Uh, wow. You know, he's going on 90 years old and he's still, you know, he's one of those guys you'd run through the through the brick wall for yeah. and not think twice about it. So, you know, grandfathers and, and Coach Strom, I think, uh, you know, they paved the way and gave me just a good example mm-hmm. uh, for how to live my life. That's awesome. Yeah, I think we can all look back and say there were pivotal people and pivotal moments that really shaped the trajectory yeah. of our lives. And you, you talked a little bit about college football. Uh, I know from there you went on to play in the pros. I'm curious to hear about your NFL experience. You know, it's, um, you know, they say NFL stands for not for long. Yeah. And so I know you weren't there for a super long time, but tell us a little bit about what it was like playing in the pros. Yeah, you know, it's certainly a dream come true, first and foremost. Um, you know, just a, a wonderful opportunity to experience something that you dream about as a kid, right? Which is what I think most professional athletes, you know, would say. But there was, you know, a brief cup of coffee with the Panthers. And I had been working out, you know, three hours a day, um, preparing for the combine, preparing for, you know, the draft, 
I was a free agent signing with the Carolina Panthers in 02. Uh, 30 seconds, you know, you're waiting for the phone to ring. You're waiting for the phone to ring. You're talking to a couple teams during the draft. And I knew I was, you know, a late round shot hopeful. Um, but, you know, I got the call 30 seconds after the draft from the Carolina Panthers. And, you know, Coach Bro, the tight ends coach, said, how would you like to be the Carolina Panther? I said, that had to be insane. It said, yes, sir. <laughs> you know? Um, didn't have to hesitate on that one. Didn't have to hesitate. But, you know, getting there, then, you know, my eyes were wide open um, on, you know, it's a big difference between Division Two college football and the NFL, obviously. And so, you know, frankly, I just, I, I wasn't ready. Um, I, you know, athletically, I was ready. You know, I, my, my stats, my times, my strength, everything was good there. But I think part of being an NFL and professional athlete is also the mental side of it. And this, the speed of the game, I think, was the other thing of, um, you know, of importance and, and very eye-opening to me. And so, you know, short-lived there, but then went on to the New York Giants. And, you know, for perspective, um, tried out um, February 13th of 2003. Um, and when I woke up that morning in New Jersey at Giant Stadium, there were Apache helicopters hovering over the Hudson River because mm -hmm. it was not that long yet after 9-11. When we had, you know, the the security color, you remember when yep. we had orange, yellow, red, yep. and so, you know, I remember waking up and just like the flood of the memories of 9/11 came back on this day to try out for the New York Giants, and you know, it was very motivating and humbling, and I felt like I could have stood at that window for hours and watched those helicopters protecting our country, but you know, I went to try out and and I did pretty well and I signed with the Giants that day and I hung around with them. Uh, you know, for a couple of years and it was kind of up and down, um, had the opportunity to play in NFL Europe for the Cologne Centurions, was able to travel the world, literally playing a game that I loved. Um, but you're right, not for long is, <laughs> is the NFL way. You know, there's there's a 100% guarantee of injuries and I had my share of those. But, you know, the first NFL game that I ever went to um, as a spectator or a participant was the first game I played in. Wow. Yeah, it was Sunday night football against the Patriots and Tom Brady back mm. in 03, you know, televised on ESPN. And I'm standing on the 48-yard line, and, you know, F-16 fighter jets come buzzing the stadium mm. during the national anthem. And, you know, I can still feel the hair on my arms stand up when, <laughs> when I think back to that and, you know, the tryout, watching the Apache helicopters and just the first game like that, that realization that you've been working so hard for something and it's, and it's come true. Yeah. And, you know, it was, um, you know, it was a great opportunity to, you know, grow as a person. It was a great opportunity to just become the best football player that I could have ever become yeah. at that level. And, you know, certainly it's a blessing to be able to look back at that and, um, know that I did something. Yeah, that's awesome. Yeah, yeah I, I, I was going to try out for the NFL, but they, um, <laughs> they said I was too strong, too big, too physical. Yeah, they shy you away know? from that sometimes. Yeah, this thing, the game was getting too rough. They want to avoid the concussions I bring on. Yeah. You know, mm -hmm. I don't know why you're laughing. But <laughs> I might get a bit of kicker or something, maybe, right? Hey, you know, you know I have something. There's still time. <laughs> that's true. I, I have all four years of eligibility for college. I mean, 
if J.R. Smith can play golf, I guess I can. They're, they're always looking for So I don't know if you've seen the, um, you know, some of those movies, um, the Kurt Warner story. Yeah. Have you seen that recently? I, I have not, but I'm familiar with it. That's story. a good watch. Yeah. It's a good watch. Kurt Warner is actually my roommate during training camp. Really? When I played for the Giants. Okay. Yeah. And, you know, just a, a great guy, a great mentor, mm. a great teacher, you know, led chapel on Wednesdays for the team. Oh, nice. Was a, you know, was always available to um, study the playbook and go through mm. routes and things with myself. And, you know, it's, it's a great movie. It's, it's a great find. Check it out. Yeah. That's awesome. You know, we, we talked about um, your time in the NFL. Wanted to hear about your transition out. I know it looks different for every player. Um, you know, some guys open a restaurant or some guys try to get a job within, within football. Talk to me about kind of your next few moves there. Yeah, yeah. And, and, and some guys never figure out yeah. what's next, which is, I think, one of the, the hardest realizations of being a professional athlete is that transition mm -hmm. really is difficult. Um, you know, you spend so much time being an athlete. And then when it's gone, you find yourself a bit lost mm -hmm. and like asking that question, what is next? Right. And for a lot of us, I think the identity of being an athlete is so ingrained in your DNA by the time you're, you know, in your 20s or 30s or whatever, whenever that last day is, mm -hmm. that it is difficult. And, you know, it's a struggle. It's a mental struggle. It's, you know, finding what am I going to do with the rest of my life after at a very young age, I've been at the top 1% of the world mm -hmm. in my craft. Right. Not to mention you're a professional athlete, right? People want your autograph. Yeah. You don't have to wait in line at restaurants mm -hmm. and you have this, you know, ability to do something that no one else in the world can do. Mm. And I imagine too, you also don't have a lot of resume built up in the business world <clears throat> or in, you know, other things. Exactly. Right. So now you go into business or you go into franchise ownership, as you referenced, or whatever that next step is for you, coaching, is probably an easier transition because you're so close to the game. But, you know, if you go into business, you, you do have very little experience on your resume. And so you go to kind of the bottom of the totem pole. Right, you used to be at the top of the You game. go to the yeah. very bottom and now you are looking for mentors. You're trying to learn how to use email and windows mm -hmm. and you know, these soft skills. And why do I have to manage it? <laughs> yeah. And, and so it's very humbling. And, you know, for myself, you know, it was, it was a journey of finding my next purpose, mm -hmm. right? Because football was so important to me that I couldn't just get a job. Mm -hmm. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. It, it didn't fulfill me and I didn't have a purpose. I just couldn't get excited about mm -hmm. it. Um, but the reality is you got to find the job, mm -hmm. right? I didn't play in the NFL for 12 years and start a foundation. Yeah. You know, I needed to go move on with my life and find my next phase, right? My next chapter, you know what I'm saying? So um, I kind of bounced around. I, I started considering substitute teaching. I worked, you know, for a school district and, you know, kind of ultimately coaching wasn't for me. Mm. Um, but I learned some very valuable lessons there. Um, we'll talk a little bit about that later. But, mm -hmm. um, you know, I, I worked with uh, Nationwide Insurance after Hurricane Katrina for about two years. I was based in Biloxi, Mississippi and saw 
just the devastation of, you know, Katrina mm-hmm. and, and what that did to, um, you know, to the Gulf Coast. Uh, and it was eye-opening. I met some great people. I delivered some really good news and some really bad news. Mm-hmm. And that ultimately was taxing on, you know, on myself. I didn't know, you know, what I wanted to do next, but I knew that it, it was not that anymore. I've been working with some elderly folks who had lost everything, you know, a nice home and everything in it. And it was washed away somewhere in the Gulf of Mexico. I met them on the stoop of their home on a concrete slab and, you know, gave them some very bad news that they were not going to be you know, covered. But on the other side, I was able to really bring people's lives back to them. And they were so grateful and they made me cookies and they gave me hugs, you know, but that was a very much a roller coaster ride. And, um, you know, so made the decision that it was time to, to move on from there. And I called a recruiter friend of mine that I had been working with during my transition. And he told me about this job at the American Dairy Association. Mm-hmm. And from there, I think really I found my stride. I found my purpose. I found where I wanted to be. And I still to this day work in the dairy industry. Um, while I was there, we worked you know, with the Ohio High School Athletic Association and bringing chocolate milk as the official beverage of high school sports a campaign and a partnership that's still in place today. I'm very proud of that. I saw some great marketing when I was at the uh, the state basketball tournaments this past uh, um, season. Um, worked with the National Dairy Council on the creation of a Fuel to Play 60 program that's oh, yeah. in conjunction with the National Football League. So that brought me back. Oh, that's cool. Um, to, nice connection. Yeah, working cool. with players. It's a, a national program with you know all 32 clubs um, participating in it. And so, you know, that was nice. I think it was enough time had passed where I was able to enjoy football again. Mm-hmm. You know, I wasn't kind of missing it that way as a player sure. anymore, but more able to see it as a platform to do mm-hmm. good and to bring a great program into what is now close to 80,000 schools across the country celebrating wow. and informing um, students around the importance of you know, physical activity and um, nutrition. Well, that's cool to hear about your participation with uh, the Fuel at the Play 60, working with the NFL again, your involvement in, in the dairy industry. And at the time, um, I know you were working with dairy management. Talk to me about how you went from that role into shifting into launching uh, your own businesses. Working for dairy management was an incredible experience. I loved the dairy farmers who, you know, governed the board and who I got to talk to and meet with and learn from some of the smartest, most strategic, savvy business people I've ever met are dairy farmers. And not to mention, they're just the salt of the earth, most caring people. I know I could go to any of their farms and be welcomed, you know, still today. Awesome. Um, and I had great mentors. Um, Tom and Barb, who, you know, ran DMI while I was there, they were just great teachers. They're great strategists. And, you know, I had a nice career there for, you know, several years. And, you know, ultimately, I was looking around at what was next, right? I kind of, I didn't want a different job. And I didn't want to go to a different company. And so, you know, I always had this thought in the back of my head that I wanted to be my own business owner and had a concept and an idea for uh, the Upfield Group. 
And my business partner today, Chad Ward, great friend, um, love him, love his family. We were both living in Chicago at the time and found ourselves on a golf course and kind of kicked the idea of starting a company around together. Chad's very accomplished. He's a brilliant guy, understands business and he understands a lot of different industries. But he also, you know, challenged us and challenged myself to, you know, reading some books together. And so we read a series of books over the course of nine months or a year. And uh, ultimately, we, we decided that we could be business partners. And we created the Upfield Group. And that was eight years ago, or so be nine years uh, this summer, that we, uh, that we created uh, the, the Consulting and Investment Group, which is known as the Upfield Group. So we have a c- couple different divisions there. Um, Upfield Financial, which Chad runs. Upfield Strategies, which I run. And we have Upfield Capital. So it's kind of a triangle of, uh, of a company. But we look at um, different opportunities from an investment standpoint when it makes sense and fits our thesis. Mm-hmm. Uh, most recently, we uh, purchased or became partners with uh, Cooler Management. Mm-hmm. Um, and so that's a big part of the work that, that we're doing today. Yeah. On the financial side, you know, we're working with a lot of M&A, banking, private equity firms doing due diligence and other financial consulting um, transaction advisory services type of work for, for our customers over there. Right. On the strategy side, we work still very closely with the dairy industry. We still do a lot of ag marketing, sustainability, consulting, food system, architecture and strategy, and really looking at you know, ways to, to elevate the ag industry and to um, increase consumer confidence within the food supply. It's fantastic. Yeah. You know, I, I started to dig in a bit to cooler management. Actually, what sparked this whole conversation uh, was something that you guys have spun up, uh, which you call the Parkit Market. Mm-hmm. Uh, if you don't mind, will you just unpack for us kind of what that's all about? Um, maybe hit some of the stats, your approach, uh, anything you want to share with the Parkit Market? Yeah, so cooler management, really, I'm, I'm just so happy with the progress that we've made with, with that entity. Um, it starts with the team. We've, we've got a great team there and we are, you know, at our core, we are a cold storage solutions company. We provide a turnkey solution to uh, refrigerated CPG brands at retail. So looking at secondary uh, merchandising opportunities and helping our refrigerated CPG brands increase sales and velocity at, the, at their retail locations. And that's, that was the core business. And Steve Hoffman, the founder and, and our partner at Cooler Management has done a great job of establishing that business. In addition to that, we also do a significant amount of work in the charitable food system and the school system. So looking at um, you know, the Feeding America Network, for example, 65,000 food pantries, 200 food banks across the country and the reality is that there's less than 10% of those 65,000 pantries that have adequate refrigeration mm. for their patrons. So it's mostly canned goods, bread, yeah. shelf-stable. Exactly, things. which means uh, there's a significant lack of access to fresh and healthy food, nutrient-dense food that folks need to stay healthy, to keep healthcare costs down, to keep you know, the diagnoses of diabetes and heart disease and obesity down. 
we've done a lot of homework and we've seen the overlay of where food deserts are and where there's a significant lack of healthy food mm. in the food system directly correlated to you know the increase in, in healthcare costs and diagnoses. Mm. And so we saw a very significant opportunity to address the charitable food system at Cooler Management. Mm. And we've created a campaign called Fresh Has No Boundaries to bring awareness as well as solutions to the charitable food system and school systems so that we can bring um, access. We can improve the infrastructure of those systems to create you know, access for healthy food and fresh food. Um, wow. Yeah. That's there, so cool. Mm -hmm. I know too, you know, hearing about your story a bit, I also wanted to hear, uh, I know it hit close to home when you were a, a substitute teacher, yeah. kind of some of the impetus behind uh, your heart for helping others with food. Can you share that story and kind of what that means to you? Yeah, I, you know, when I was considering coaching, I was a substitute teacher and in the school system that I was at one day, um, I was on bus duty and one of the little girls in the classroom, third grade classroom that I was teaching in that day, she had forgotten her jacket while we were waiting for the buses. And so I, and she was just hysterical, just crying. And like, she just could not go home without that jacket. And it was a nice, kind of a warm day too. My gosh. So I take the run back into the school. I grab her coat. And when I go for the jacket, some food items fell out of her pockets. And, you know, I thought it was a bit odd. I picked them up and put them back in her pockets, but it occurred to me what was really happening. And I knew the little girl, um, she, she didn't need that jacket to keep her warm, right? She kept food in her pockets for her mom and her every evening for dinner. She brought school lunch home every night because she lived in a car with her mom in a parking lot. And I later found that out. But, you know, that was one of those moments in your life that you'll never forget, mm -hmm. right? And it's been 15 years and I still wonder about that little girl and her family and, you know, hope that she's doing well. But, you know, that's always been something that's been important to me. You know, I mentioned I grew up in ag and food and, mm -hmm. you know, we never had a whole lot, but we always had enough. And it seemed like there was enough food and there was enough love in my family to go around. And so, you know, there's, there's some emotional attachment to the campaign Fresh Has No Boundaries and yeah. the development of the parkit market. And, you know, that little girl, it's so common now. You know, there's 42 million Americans who are food insecure. There's 13 million children who are also living, you know, in a food insecure home. And there's, you know, another 13 million um, people living in food deserts, right? places where there's no access to healthy food or no food at all. Maybe it's rural part of America where you're 40, 50 miles away from a grocery store or you're living, you know, getting groceries from a corner convenience store where you're taking it off a shelf and getting, you know, sodas and, and chips. Um, and, you know, that's a real issue, right? Especially for children. I think that's what really tugs at me is just getting a, a shot at school, yeah. you know, not being hungry when it's time to learn, right? Mm -hmm. Being able to focus, like how, you know, we're so blessed to be able to 
you know, just go to the refrigerator and get a sandwich and get something that's, you know, good for you. Or even if it's not good for you, at least you have something, right? right? Um, But but we know that fresh and healthy food is is what's needed Mm -hmm. to to fuel the minds of young people and to give them uh, an opportunity. And, And so, it's not just myself either, right? My team feels the same way. I mean, at, at Cooler Management, we believe that fresh and healthy food is an We live in a world of excess. We have, you know, over 160 billion pounds of food wasted every year in this country. That's an economic impact of $160 billion in loss in food waste. And a significant reason for that, not the only reason, but a significant reason for that is the, uh, is the lack of infrastructure, mm. adequate refrigeration and cold storage um, in, in the supply chain. Mm. Food spoiling, it's going bad before it can get to an end user. And that's, you know, in a nutshell, what, uh, what has been driving the creation of the campaign, as well as the development of the market market. Mm. Yeah, it's, it's, it's really helpful to understand the magnitude of the problem. Yeah. And I think it can feel a little, um, feel a little overwhelming. Uh, but I know that you guys are, are working on this market market, which can scale. Um, can you just describe it for us? And we've mentioned it a few times, but what exactly is it? And how do you see it uh, deploying and growing? Yeah, so Cooler Management and, and really Steve Hoffman, our, our partner, had a vision for developing a vehicle that could take fresh and healthy refrigerated food to places that were hard to reach, like food deserts, disaster areas. So coupled with you know, working to get refrigeration solutions at the pantry for the folks that couldn't get to a pantry or that you know, didn't have you know, a vehicle or were in a food desert, whatever the case might be in their circumstances, we developed a refrigerated mobile pantry. It's a trailer, 16 foot trailer, that's 100% refrigerated, and it can carry three tons of food to people, and it's pulled by a pickup truck, oh. right? So a non-CDL licensed driver who's volunteering for the food bank or the food pantry can load up the trailer and take it to you know, the places it needs to go. And we've considered a lot of the patron's experience sure right so it it looks great it has um cantilevered shelving Mm. uh retail quality doors so when you walk up to it it's got a beautiful wrap on it it's all lit up with led lighting Mm. that's cool um so you're shopping Mm -hmm. so it's a best in class experience you're you're not getting a cardboard box or a bag of food Mm -hmm. that you did not choose, but that you were just given. Mm. You're not sneaking in the back door of a food pantry, embarrassed that you're there Mm. because you're down on your luck at the moment, but you are going to an experience Mm. that your dignity is not compromised. And you have the ability to choose uh, what foods you want for your family, Mm. what you want to make what recipes you know how to make mm-hmm. what uh foods your family may or may not be allergic to mm. right so we've Jeez. really tried to see the park at market experience through the eyes of the patron and be able to um strategically as well as emotionally 
uh, serve those communities. Mm -hmm. And we did so with the uh, support of Second Harvest of Orange County was very instrumental in the design process um, from the patrons experience side of things. Um, you know, there's, there's refrigerated trucks, obviously, that are out there that can transport food from point A to point B. Uh, what the park and market really does is create an experience and a better way of, of serving mm -hmm. people, an equitable way of serving people with dignity and um, That's awesome. Yeah, I think that to your point, there's it would have been easy. The shorter putt would be, hey, let's just roll out an existing refrigerated truck. You know, you, you see them driving around every day, but to really give folks an experience that was dignifying best in class and put them in the driver's seat, I think is huge. And I wanted to, to pick a bit too on, on how you see this growing. Um, you know, talk a little bit about if, if someone's listening and they say, yeah, I want a park and market in my area, um, how, how can they get involved? How can they get um, that to show up or or to invest in one. Yeah, so we have the park and markets live and we're actively selling them and, and doing events with them. Uh, currently, we have a 16 foot model that's in California right now, prepared to do events. We're bringing it to the Midwest this summer and we're okay. lending uh, our park and market to charitable organizations, food banks, pantries that want to you know, test drive it or participate in an event that they have going on this summer. So if you're listening and you would like to learn more or you would like to have the Park and Market attend one of your events, you know, certainly reach out to me. Well, thank you, Mark Inkrod, for your willingness to share your story. It's cool to see how he's living armed and generous. Now it's time for our Triple T takeaways, moments that exemplify using either time, talent, or treasure to help others. After his NFL career, Mark shared what it's like to go from the top 1% of your craft to the bottom of the barrel in the business world. He bounced around and tried teaching and coaching, and that's where he learned some valuable lessons that birthed in him a new, profound direction. But it wasn't until he landed in the dairy industry where things really started to crystallize for him in terms of purpose and passion. With lots of connections and possible roads, he chose to start small with teaching and coaching and this built into others while he used his time and talent. His next move was to start his own thing with a friend and a continued focus on food management, agricultural marketing, and all things related to the food supply. Within his for-profit efforts in cooler management, Mark and team have spun up a nonprofit, which we shared about called Fresh Has No Boundaries. And this augmented the work with other partners as well. For example, only 10% of food pantries can accommodate fresh veggies, meat, and dairy products due to lack of refrigeration. This is something Mark's passionate about, but he wouldn't be passionate about that without his time and talent dedicated to the food industry. So when he and his partners developed the Park and Market, this is something unique and something new that's never been done before. And it never would have started had he not leaned into a nonprofit, for-profit business model. With 42 million Americans who are food insecure, 13 million children living in a food insecure home, and 13 million others living in food deserts, this is a massive problem. But Mark has that gridiron energy and he's ready to tackle hunger. Sorry, I couldn't resist both of those metaphors. 
You know, Mark's a great example of someone living the Armed to Generous life. And if you'd like to learn more or get involved with Fresh Has No Boundaries, you can visit CoolerManagement.com and click on the In Our Community button or email Mark at Mark at CoolMGT.com. That's Mark at CoolMGT.com. And to hear more stories of Armed and Generous, visit ArmedAndGen.com or follow by searching Armed Ampersand Generous on LinkedIn. As always, remember, doing good leads to growth. Now let's get out there and let's be armed and generous.